Fears of an all-out economic crisis are deepening as FedEx announces that it expects a global recession based on a sharp decline in world shipping activity and a higher-than-expected inflation report deepens the Federal Reserve's determination to raise interest rates. The capitalist class remains determined to drive the economy off a cliff to eviscerate workers' living standards and bargaining power. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. This show, The Socialist Program, brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. We appreciate everyone's support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy or rely on this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolf.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Professor Wolf, we're pre-recording this show by a few hours, but it comes out at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday, September 21st, another day where the Federal Reserve is meeting and all expectations were and are that the tempo of interest rate hikes would continue. Many were predicting that the interest rate hike would be 0.75%, not small. Some were even predicting a higher interest rate. But I want to read to you from the real-time economics column that's put out by the Wall Street Journal. It came out yesterday, Tuesday. Here's what it said. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell last month delivered a clear message to the markets. I don't know if the markets actually have ears, but some of them do, I guess, some of the people in the markets. The Fed would accept a recession as the price of fighting inflation. That was the message. Now, accept recession. That's pretty passive language. Mr. Powell's inflation whisperer, Paul Volcker, speaking at the Central Bank's annual August retreat in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the current Fed chairman cited the example of the former Fed chairman, that would be Paul Volcker, who drove the economy into a deep hole in the early 1980s with punishing rate increases in order to break the back of double-digit price gains. The moment underscores Mr. Powell's rapid about-face during one of the most tumultuous periods for the economy and the central bank since the 1970s. After championing an aggressive stimulus campaign just 12 months ago, 
He has this year led the most rapid tightening of monetary policy since the early 1980s. I remember that period, 1979 to 1982, pretty vividly. Yes, Paul Volcker, chairman of the Fed, raised interest rates. I think the prime rate went up to 21 points or something like that. The amount of unemployment, Richard, the number of working class families that lost their jobs and thus consequently would have lost their homes, that was 10%, one out of 10. That was the official number. Jimmy Carter's presidency was destroyed. Ronald Reagan became president. Anyway, let's just talk about what the Federal Reserve is doing. And is FedEx right when they are now predicting an all-out recession? Well, let's put it this way. FedEx is not alone. Tuesday morning, the Ford Motor Company indicated that it's looking at more and more difficult situation. FedEx is a better hint at what's coming because they are the ones who know exactly how many goods are being shipped to whom for what. They monitor that. They move all this material. If it slows down, as it clearly has, and if that's a trend, as it clearly is, then you're not taking a big risk by predicting a recession. Look, it's important for people to understand two things about the policies of the Federal Reserve back under Volcker and now under Powell. Here are the two things. Number one, as I'll explain in a minute, there is no guarantee that raising interest rates will solve the problem. That's the first one. And number two, that if you use raising interest rates as we are, and they generate a recession as it looks like they're about to do, then you are saying to the American people, we are going to sacrifice millions of you losing your jobs, losing your income disorganizing your household, and we're doing it, even though there are other ways to deal with an inflation that don't have these consequences, we're choosing to do it this way because, you know, the burden falls on the average American, and that's who we would like the burden to fall on. They won't say it honestly, but it is the truth. So let me briefly explain. What about the notion that it might not work? Well, look, here's the game. You raise interest rates. You hope that will lead people not to buy a home if they were thinking of it because they can't cover the mortgage, not to buy a car because they can't cover the monthly payments since interest rates going up make those monthly payments for the car that much higher, not to use their credit card the way they did because they can't cover the rising cost of the balance on the credit card, and maybe not going to college because rising interest rates will affect the borrowing cost to pay for college, which most students now have to do. So the whole idea is by raising interest rates, you slow the economy down. Less houses will be bought, less automobiles will be bought, less credit card purchases will be made, and so on. And what's the idea behind that? that the business community, the less than 1% of us who are employers, seeing people and businesses 
unable to buy as much as they could before because the cost of borrowing money has gone up, they will now not raise prices as much as they might otherwise have done. That's the idea. That's the only idea going on here. The Fed has put all of its money on this proposal. Now, why do I say it may not work? Well, the answer, again, is that tiny minority of our people who are employers. The employer, this cannot be repeated too often, the employer is the one who sets the price of whatever his or her company produces. The hamburger, the short stack of pancakes at breakfast, the software program, the automobile, whatever it is, the employers set the prices. So now let's follow the logic. If interest rates go up and nobody can afford to borrow the way they used to, so now the employers of America realize that the folks they've been selling to are now more pinched than they were before. They can't borrow at these higher rates. They can't carry the debts that it implies. So the employers know that their potential buyers haven't got the money to spend because interest rates are going up. But now watch, the employer has a choice that he or she makes. Faced with harder times among your potential buyers, you can either stop raising the price, maybe even lower it, so that you can keep selling stuff, or or you can decide, I'm not lowering my prices. I'm raising them. I may not be able to sell as much as I used to, but I'm going to get more money for those that I do sell, and that's my best strategy. In a free enterprise economy, the employers, a tiny minority, are free to respond to what the Federal Reserve is doing with rising interest rates by precisely not doing what the Federal Reserve hopes they will do. The Federal Reserve hopes they won't raise prices. If anything, they'll keep them stable or lower them. But the final decision is not in the hands of the Fed. It's in the hands of the less than 1% of us who are employers. Has it happened in the past that employers in exactly this situation have chosen not to reduce their prices, but in fact to raise them and simply reduce the amount of goods they order for sale? Yes, that has happened many times. We even have a word for it, and the word is stagflation. It's the combination of the word stagnant and the word inflation. In other words, prices keep going up, but the goods and services aren't produced, which means if it fails, we will have a combination of an unfixed inflation now having added to it recession. Less goods produced, that means people thrown out of work. So the first thing to understand is that this commitment to raising interest rates is a commitment to a policy that often doesn't work. Now, step two, if it works, if it works, it means that business free enterprises have decided to respond 
to the pinched buyers who face those higher interest rates imposed by the Fed, it means that the employers will say, okay, okay, we are not facing the kind of buyers we used to, and so we are not going to raise our prices, but we're not going to lower them very much either until we see that we really have to. In other words, we've got to see an economy in real trouble so we realize, oh, we can't get away with keeping our prices as high as they already are. In plain English, they're saying, show us a recession. And that's why Mr. Powell said what he said that you quoted, that we, the Federal Reserve, notice how nice it is of these very well-off bank presidents and economists and government officials are willing to impose a recession on the rest of us in the hopes that by really crunching the economy down the way Mr. Volcker did back in 1980-81, they will persuade the free enterprises to do what the Federal Reserve wants them to do, namely to stop the inflation, if anything, to lower prices. So here we have it. The Federal Reserve committed to raising interest rates, a policy that may or may not work, but if it does work, requires a massive recession with millions unemployed to get the result. And by the way, never forget, why are we doing this? Because our economy is out of control. We have an inflation that's out of control, which came out of a crash in 2020, which was out of control, which came in part out of a pandemic, which showed that our medical system can't do the job that medical systems are supposed to do, which is prevent a million people dying rather than watch it unfold in front of us. These are signs of an economic and political system that isn't working. Richard, capitalism has its own inner logic. I mean, I think that's true about all social slash economic systems. It's not the only available system, but when you look at the capitalist system, it has its own inner laws, its own logic. I want to ask you with that in mind, whether or not the stimulus packages that the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve employed to fight against the depression or great recession that was created as COVID struck, coinciding with COVID, partly caused by COVID. Those stimulus packages in their totality, different people use different numbers, but the number that's bandied about a lot that I see using these combination of instruments, the government and the Federal Reserve, it might be $5 trillion. And indeed, what looked like the crash of 1929 and the subsequent years, the U.S. economy pulled out of it. And now, two years later, we have huge inflation, and the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell said the inflation is, this was a year ago, they said it was transitory, it was transitional, it was conjunctural, it wouldn't last a long time, that the supply chains that had been sort of obstructed or inhibited because of COVID or COVID lockdowns around the world, that those would sort themselves out. Now they've changed their tune. 
But from the point of view, you're emphasizing that employers, the owners of private property, they're the ones who decide whether to raise a price or not. And if they can raise prices and not do more investment, which is clearly happening in oil and gas, they can make just as much or even more profits and spend even less going forward. I want to ask you about whether there is an element or a significant element whereby government spending that acts as a stimulus at one time also has the effect as stimulant drugs do of having, when you come off the stimulant, have a depressing impact. In other words, is the inflation the consequence in part of this huge infusion of liquidity by the Federal Reserve? And while you answer that question, if you would just keep one other question in mind, because the right wing in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives, I mean, most of them are pretty right wing, but there's a handful who aren't. They make the argument that the stimulus package was too much. It gave people too much and that the inflation is the obvious sort of blowback because of this largesse on the part of the government. So there's a couple of questions in there, but I'd like you to help the audience sort it out because these topics are routinely discussed by people who appear to us as experts and they're, they appear redundantly over and over again on TV, on radio, in the newspapers. I just want your take. Sure. And let me uh, tell you, I'm as mystified by what our senators and congressmen and women uh, say about economics. With a few exceptions, it basically is nonsense and it is embarrassing to watch because if you've had to study this subject for a while, it's embarrassing to see people make statements as if they were clear and certain and that's the way it is when they are basically making it up as they go along and hoping that nobody calls them on it. So let me do precisely that. No is the answer. No, the money spent by the government isn't the cause of an inflation because money injected into an economy by itself never is the cause of an inflation. That misunderstands the relationship here. Yes, if the government puts more money in, we now have to ask a second question. The government has ways of doing that. That's the job of the Federal Reserve. And if it thinks the economy needs more money, as it did with the crash of 2020 and the pandemic, they pumped more money into the economic system, basically giving the banks more money for them to loan out, which is the major way that this is done. But that doesn't produce an inflation. That just means that the banks have more money to lend out. So the first question is, will people borrow that money? And the answer is, I don't know. But neither does Senator anybody know. It's a question, here we go now, of what the private enterprises mostly do. They borrow the bulk of the money that comes out of the banks. It's also a matter of what individuals do. Do they borrow money? If there's more money around, do people borrow more? Do businesses borrow more? Okay, that's an open question. The government doesn't control that. Here comes the next point. Let's suppose that both people and businesses borrow 
all of this new money put in. The act of borrowing money doesn't have anything to do with prices, doesn't cause an inflation. So now let's take the next step. The people who have borrowed the money, the businesses and the individuals, are now, let's follow them, heading downtown to the mall. They're going to go into the stores of America with the extra money they've borrowed that the Fed has pumped in, and they're going to confront the employers of America the people who run and organize the factories, the stores, and the offices. And they are going to say, oh boy, we got people coming with more money to spend because they borrowed more from the Fed, which is pumping money in, offering it at ridiculously low rates, close to zero, as we've had them for years in America, and so on. And now here comes the key point. Whether or not we have an inflation depends on what the private owners and operators of the businesses of America decide to do. Absolutely, they know people are coming with more money to spend. The government has given them more money to spend. But it is up to each capitalist, each owner of a business to decide whether to respond to the extra money the buyers have in their pocket, either, here we go now, either by raising the price of what they have to sell or by not raising the price, but just offering more goods for people to buy. The government hopes, and that's all it does, hope that they will choose not to raise prices, but rather to order more stuff to be produced so they can sell it in their stall in the mall or sell it from their office or whatever. Why? Because that'll put more people to work producing the extra goods that are being sold. But keep in mind that in a private enterprise system, the private employers of America, that's less than 1% of us, have the right not to do what the Federal Reserve wants, but to decide instead that the way they're going to respond to the extra money in the economy that the Fed has put there is by jacking up their prices. And why would they do that? Because it's profitable to them. And that's what they're in business to do, make profits. How do I know that? Because they say so. That's their bottom line. That's their number one objective. So if you want to know about inflation, the first place you look at is the profit calculations of the less than 1% of us that are capitalist employers. They make the decision. They can decide to respond to the Fed and there's no inflation, or they can decide to respond to the Fed and cause an inflation. When right-wing politicians tell you that the fault is the government, for example, the stimulus programs to get us out of the disaster of the year 2020-2021, they don't care that it doesn't make sense. They don't care that what I've just explained to you is the truth of the situation. Their job is completely different. Their job is to get none of us to point the finger of blame where it belongs on the decision makers who actually raised the prices of things. 
Inflation is when prices go up, and they only go up if the employers of this country make them go up. Employees don't have the power. The government doesn't have the power either. In capitalism, we give the tiny minority of employers the decision-making power to give us an inflation or not. And don't be fooled by the paid servants, the politicians of the employer class who would like you to blame anything else. Blame the stimulus payment. Blame China. Blame the immigrants from poor Central America. Blame anyone other than the actual group in our society. They have names and addresses who are the ones who make the decisions to raise the prices that give us an inflation. And here's the irony. If we had a different political leadership, and I don't just mean different from Mr. Biden, but the same applies to whoever the Republicans throw up there. If we had a different leadership, they would understand that there are other ways to deal with an inflation that get the job done, that don't require interest rate increases, don't require recessions. But you know what? They require suspending the ability of the tiny minority of employers to give us the inflation problem in the first place. And the irony of ironies, Richard Nixon, a conservative Republican president, shows us the way. August 15th, 1971, he goes on the radio and he says, we have a terrible inflation. We did. I'm going to stop it. We did. And here's how I'm going to do it. As of tomorrow morning, any business that raises the price of what it sells will be arrested, shut down, and the owner capitalist will go to jail. Oh, my goodness. That's what he did. The inflation stopped on a dime and only led to the business community working very hard not only to undo what their president had done, which they didn't want, but also to make sure that in future inflations, like right now, the government, whether Republican or Democrat, wouldn't even bring up what Mr. Nixon did, wouldn't debate it, wouldn't discuss it, wouldn't present it to the American people so they could see what the strengths and weaknesses are of a wage price freeze, that's what Mr. Nixon called it, versus raising interest rates. So we are all doing the one thing this government wants us to do, and we're not being troubled by any honest debate about the alternatives. In its own way, it is very like the war in Ukraine. One story, good guys and bad guys, no discussion, no debate, people dying left and right when there were and are alternatives. Very important, Richard. And, you know, I, I've been on panels at conferences and also actually on television, and I've cited you and your comments about Richard Nixon's actions with the, the August 15th, 1971 wage price freeze. And I have to tell you, it's kind of a universal howling and reaction from the other guests on the panel who like 
consider that, you know, there's been some terrible sin committed by even speculating that that was an option. Anyway, I want to talk to you in our last couple minutes about the idea of fighting inflation as a form of class warfare. And I want to say that and try to strip it out of any sort of rhetorical hyperbole. I want to talk about it as what it really is. Back when Paul Volcker raised interest rates so high and crashed the economy deliberately, it created, as I said, 10% unemployment. Now, crashing the economy doesn't affect everybody the same way. Like if you're rich, if you're part of the 1% or the 10% or probably the 20%, and the 20% is not a small number, you're not really going to feel the effects of massive unemployment. But if you're part of the 80%, we could call it the 99%, but let's just, to be conservative, call it the 80%, the lower 80%, then the impact of this inflation fighting by raising interest rates and deliberately creating a recession, it falls on your shoulders. You're the one who can't pay your mortgage. You're the one who can't pay rent. If you, as you said, it's your kids, if you're trying to put them through college the loan rate is suddenly beyond your reach. It's your kids who don't go to college. It's not the kids of the upper 10% or 20%. So there's that element of like, if there's a crisis caused by capitalism and the government intervenes to solve or to try to remediate or, or mitigate this crisis, it's done with the idea that shifting the burden of a crisis caused by capitalism onto sectors of the society who are not capitalists. They are the people who go to work every day for the capitalists. So there's that one element. And then the second element, and I wrap it all up together and give you the final word. When you go back to that 1980 period, 80, 81 period, workers started to go on strike. There was a strike of all of the air controllers, air traffic controllers in the country, PATCO, the Union of Air Traffic Controllers, a pretty conservative union, all went on strike with the idea that you really can't fly planes without air traffic controllers. And Richard Nixon, in his first months in office and under these conditions of an imposed recession and where the union militancy was starting to grow, there was Solidarity Day was coming. The AFL-CIO was awakening from its decades of slumber. It was starting to become a political force. Reagan fired all 13,000 air traffic controllers all at once. Like, People thought, oh, you can't do that because we won't be able to fly planes, but they did it. And so it had this impact of creating mass unemployment and then this frontal assault against labor that succeeded. And that too had this really profound impact on the way the rest of the 80s, and I would say the next couple of decades evolved in the US where labor militancy, which was growing at the end of the 70s, was kind of crushed in these very powerful blows struck by the federal government. So anyway, I've taken this in a couple of different directions, but inflation fighting as a form of class war and then taking advantage of the class war to really go to war against workers' organizations. Go ahead. I would agree with you, and I'd say it a little bit differently. I think the class war is always going on. It's only sometimes it's a kind of above ground. Sometimes it's below. Sometimes it's right in your face. Sometimes you have to look for it. So very quickly, the inflation itself is class war. The rate of increase of prices in the United States, as I'm speaking to you, is somewhere between eight and a half and nine percent. The rate of increase in wages 
Average wages in the United States, as I'm speaking to you, is in the neighborhood of 5%. Okay, there it is. The prices are going up much faster, twice what the wages are. The capitalist charges prices, which are going up nearly 10%, but pays to his workers only 5%. That means a worker who gets a 5% increase in his or her salary is still falling behind because all the prices are going up by 10%. That's class warfare. That's the warfare of the employer class against the employee class. Now you're proposing to deal with that with raising interest rates. Well, that's another class war because obviously a higher interest rate is not a problem for a rich person the way it is for a poor person or a person in the middle. So if you look at the statistics of who were the people who died, the million who died from COVID-19, the majority of them are, again, disproportionately poor and middle income people, older people with little money left. I mean, it's continuous. This is a system based on class warfare. It doesn't want you to think about it. It wants you to maybe think, oh, sometimes there's an element of it. Uh Uh-uh. It's not sometimes there's an element. It's always going on. That's the name of the game. That's how this system is set up. And no one should be fooled because the media and others make an effort to make you think it's something else, the government stimulus, rather than what the employer does with the prices. These are all ploys to disguise, to distract us from the unpleasant reality that the class struggle and the fact that the people at the top run it is all around us. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.